Before we start, just to mention uh, two quick things. One is that, uh, I mentioned this once on a Friday night, I think I mentioned this once on the misconception share. I never heard of this before, but people saw it. So if you saw it, I have to mention it. That they saw that when the women, that some women by Berchus Kehanim, they turned away to face away from the Kehanim. It's not allowed, you're not supposed to do that. It's clear from the Gemara. The Gemara makes a drasha, panim al panim, that you're supposed to face the kehanim face to face. You're not supposed to turn away. There's an Indian that maybe you're not supposed to watch the kehanim. That's a thing. But there are easy ways without turning your head. Just close your eyes or put your head down. You should be facing the kehanim ideally. Okay. Uh, a second thing. This, I, I, I don't want to... I'm just going to mention this and then we'll get right there. Um... You know, it's a time where you're supposed to have a tremendous amount of achdus. There's a sect of Klal Yisrael that I try to, I, just, I, I try to ignore. I question whether they're Jewish. Some of them are not Jewish, if you look into their yichas well enough. Uh, there's Nature Kartaniks, which I don't want to give them uh, a voice. And they, they're always with the Palestinians and all these achim. So someone asked me, what's the halachic, like, what's the halachic problem? So, <laughs> of doing this. So... I'll tell you the answer, and then we'll go back to it. I don't want to spend much time. I once had, there was a rabbi from Eretz Yisrael who was eating by our house. Uh, one of these rabbis of these, you know, Shana Aleph type places. And he was apparently more, he wasn't that, Naturi Kartik, but he was apparently, uh, you know, one of the, uh, a sympathizer a little bit more. I didn't know. I didn't care. So someone asked me, what's the halachic problem at the table? So I said, it's Ein Lechelek Loilam Haba. And you can't sit shiva for such people. And he was very upset. So I'll just, I'll read you a line. It's a Mephurisha, it's a Rambam, and it's in a Muki Yosef. And that's it. And then we'll go back to because the, the, these people shouldn't uh, be given any platform, even in Halacha Shir. Uh, one of the lines, it's HaPoyrish Medarki at Tzibar. Someone who separates from the Tzibar is Ein Lechelik Lo'elam Haba. And the Rambam Paskins in Perak Aleph of Hilchas Alvel that you don't sit shiva for such people. What's the definition of a Purish Medarki at Sibar? So there are some opinions that say it's someone who doesn't live in a religious lifestyle, but for that you have Tinik Shinishba Zahatar. I'll read you the Lashon of Muki Yosef. A Purish Medarki at Sibar, Shein Roitzim Litztair Betsarim Shal Sibar. Someone who does not feel the pain of Klal Yisrael. And avoids the pain of Klal Yisrael is a Parish Medarki at Sibar. You don't sit Shiva for such people. And Ein Lechel Klal So, someone who's able to see what's been going on in Eretz Yisrael and to not join our side, that's it. It's a Parish Medarki at Sibar. You don't sit Shiva for such people. Adkan, they, 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 they're not listening to me anyway, but for anybody that knows, and don't listen to them and don't give them any credence. You look into the Yichasai, misspall if they're Jewish. But anyway, okay, a couple other Shilas that I got. Back to the regular scheduled programming. So someone asked me, this past Sunday was Rosh Chodesh. I'll run through some of the more detailed halachas. Uh, someone asked me, on Rosh Chodesh, is he allowed to get a haircut? So what's the, what's the, what's the shayla about that? So the Mishabura in Simen Reish Samoch in Hilcha Shabbos writes that there's a minig, not a minig, there's a concept, a concept, not to get a haircut and not to cut your fingernails or your toenails on Rosh Chodesh, even if Rosh Chodesh is Friday. Why? One of the tzavas, Rabbi Yehuda Achasid. So I, I think we've spoken about this in the past. I'll give a two-minute quick synopsis. Rabbi Yehuda Achasid was one of the Rishonim. He wrote a last will and testament. He's got, the, 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 I think it's like 313. They found more recently. He just boom, 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 boom. If you look through them, <coughs> they're printed in the beginning of the Sefer Chassidim. He wrote the Sefer Chassidim, printed in the beginning of the back. If you look through them, 
the majority you haven't heard of. Not you, I'm just saying it's not part of the lexicon of Jewish halacha. Some of them are very famous. Um, I'll mention a couple that are the more famous ones. That you shouldn't marry a woman who has the same name as your mother. A woman shouldn't marry a man that has the same name as her father. Um, you, two brothers shouldn't marry two sisters. You shouldn't seal up a window. Uh, there are certain ones that are a little bit more famous. One of the more famous ones is you don't cut your hair on Rosh Chodesh. Why? Apikabalah, it's a... It's a Spiritual danger. I have, no, I have no explanation for it. So it's brought down by the Mishabura. So how do we paskin? So overall, there's a very large discussion amongst the Paiskim whether Tzavas Rabbi the Chassid is meant to be paskins for practical halacha or not. There's a famous teaching of the Naidi Yehuda that the Naidi Yehuda quoted that one of the Tzavas Rabbi the Chassid is that two brothers shouldn't marry two sisters. The Gemara in Brachas says that there was a certain city of 400 Kehanim. They were all brothers and they all married sisters. 400 brothers married 400 sisters. The Gemara is talking about it. It clearly wasn't a thing. One of the Tzavasi the Chassid is that an uncle shouldn't marry his niece. That was an old minig of Klal Yisrael, that they used to do such a thing. So therefore the Naid Vihuda felt that Tzavasi the Chassid is not meant practical halacha. It was meant for his family. It was a Tzavah for his family. One of the Tzavas, I think, is you don't name your kids Yehuda or Shmuel, because he was Yehuda ben Shmuel. Nobody is makbid about this. So the Naid Vihuda feels that it's not accepted amongst Klal Yisrael. Other parties can feel that it is accepted amongst Kali so, so for practical halacha, when it comes to, let's say, haircuts, it's brought down by the Mishabura. So if you could be machmer, you should. However, I told this person who asked me that he told me he didn't have time to get a haircut. His hair is getting long. He can only get haircuts on Sundays. It's been Yom Tif and Rosh for the last month. Okay, You have what to rely on. It's not the end of the world. It's a nice thing to be machmer if you can. But no, no, it's not, uh, it's not uh, if you want to be mekel yesh l'amilismach. So I just want to mention one more halacha regarding this. Let's say you want to be makbid, which is a nice thing to do. The Mishaburah says not to get a haircut on Rosh even if Rosh is Friday. Right? Friday is Kavit Shabbos. Don't get a haircut on Friday, get it on Thursday. What if Rosh is Thursday and Friday? So I always get asked this. Whenever Rosh is Thursday and Friday, I always get asked, can I get a haircut? I know the Tzava, but, you know, it's Thursday and Friday. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky in his Sefer Emes Yaakov proves that when it's Thursday and Friday, you can get a haircut on Rosh according to everybody. Why? Because he says like this, when Rosh is Friday, there's an Indian of Kavit Shabbos. To get a haircut with Kavit Shabbos, it's a Mekayim Mitzvah, a Mitzvah from, from the Nevi'im. So that should outweigh whatever this thing is, right? Whatever this Kabbalistic concept, the Mitzvah of getting a haircut for Kavit Shabbos should outweigh it. But says Rav Yaakov, when Rosh is just Friday, you can get a haircut on Thursday. Doing an action on Thursday is also Kavit Shabbos, right? It's also close to Kavit Shabbos. So therefore, because it's a quasi-Kavit Shabbos, no, it's something. But says Rav Yaakov, if Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday, and in order to be makbid on Savas or Yudah you would have to get a haircut on Wednesday, which is B'chalal not Kavit Shabbos, then he says, then that now you have a fight between Kavit Shabbos and Savas of Yudah Kavit Shabbos wins. So Rav Yaakov feels very stark that when Rosh Chodesh is Thursday and Friday, you can get a haircut and cut your nails, L'Kavit Shabbos Kodesh, L'Kuli Yalmo L'Chaldeh, says Rav Yaakov Shita. Okay. A um, couple more things I want to run through. Someone asked me, what is the proper procedure for Lecha Mishnah? Which challah should you cut? Because you go to people's houses, they don't really, a lot of times people don't really know. They just, they're just, they're just doing. So, this is the sheet of the Ramah, and it's based on Kabbalah. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I should have checked this up, I believe Chabad has a different approach, but 
it's starting at nine, but we're just having you could show do do your thing. Um, so so it's like this. Uh, maybe a little on the side here. Um, so the Ramah brings down Api Kabbalah. This is the proper approach. This is Kabbalistic reasons. Friday night, you should cut the bottom challah. Friday night, Api Kabbalah, you, bu- you cut the bottom one. Now here's the problem. You have the two challahs on top of each other. You're supposed to cut the bottom one for Kabbalistic reasons. But there's a, prob- there's a concept called Ein Mavir and Alamitzvah, which is you should always do the closest one. The closest one to your chest, the closest one to you, is the top one. So, says the Mishaburo, what you do is you pull the bottom one a little bit closer. So the bottom one is a little bit closer to you, and you cut it. Therefore, you're cutting the bottom one, which for Kabbalistic reasons is the proper approach. But it's closer to you, so it's not a chisarin of ein mavir and ala mitzvahs. That's what you do Friday night. Shabbos day, shalosh shudis, and every meal of yomtiv. So outside of Friday night, you cut the top one. So oh, generally you cut the top one, but Friday night you cut the bottom one and you cut it when it's closer to you, so you pull it a little bit closer. I'll say one more thing, just because Agav, it's uh, important to know. There's a shayla in the Paiskim, you should have the challah cover still on while you're cutting it. Uh, well, right when you're about to cut it. You should have the challah cover. Ideally, you make a little mark on the bottom one. You have the challah cover still on. You make the bracha with the challah cover on. Then you remove it. That's what the Paiskim say. There's a couple of reasons why we cover the challah. But it should be covered, ideally, until you actually are ready to cut the challah, not just when Kiddush is on. One of the reasons why people think that it has to do with Kiddush is because they don't want to embarrass the grape juice. That's one of the reasons, but there's other reasons. Zecher Laman, right? The man was covered by dew, so we cover the challah. If it has to do with that, then it should be covered, ideally, uh, you know, until when you're cutting the challah. Okay. So, there's other halacha. (laughs) Good? Okay, so making the slit on the challah was not is not a, a a concept really related to Friday night. It's related in general. The Gemara says that whenever you would eat bread, they used to cut bread, right? They didn't have sliced bread. They used to have like baguettes, whatever loaves. So they would cut it. The Gemara in bracha says that whenever you make a bracha, you should always cut first. Why? The bread was very hard. The concern was their knives weren't very sharp. You make a barach of amaytzilach menaretz, and you're cutting, and you're cutting, and you're cutting, and it's a hefsek. So says the Gemara, you should mark it first. Not just mark it, they would actually cut, like a deep cut, into the challah. Now, <coughs> two things. Nowadays, you could argue that it's not really necessary anymore because our challah is soft. It's not like it used to be. It wasn't old. Secondly, Friday night, there's an issue. The issue is you need a shalim. During the week, so you cut it, so it's not a shalim, but it's supposed to be lechamisha, it's supposed to be shalim. It's supposed to be complete. So that's why Friday night, what the minig evolved into, is you just make a little scratch. I will say this, though. I do think it's important to make the scratch, because I'm a believer of minig of klal Yisrael. I don't like the concept of just like, I've been to people's houses of jobs. You don't have to do this. It's not necessary. Okay. I don't like that approach too much. If Klal Yisrael has been doing something for a thousand years, let's just keep doing it. But I have been by people's houses for Shabbos where they make a little mark, they make the bracha, and then they start looking for it. It's the opposite opposite of the whole point. The whole point is to speed up. The whole point is to speed up the process. You know what? I'll mention two more things now that I'm talking about Chala Friday night. The Paiskim say, I I saw Rav Shechter said this way, but I think it's a Dover Pashat. When you cut the Chala, the first piece should go to you. Meaning, you should cut a piece and eat it. 
then cut the rest of the loaf. I've been by people's houses where they cut the, for three minutes, they're cutting away, cutting away, cutting away, then they take a piece of themselves. Why not take a piece for yourself right away? You made a bracha. If you could be minimize the hefsik, I, I, I definitely think you should. I, I, don't, I don't see what the reason is. I, I'm not aware of an Indian of, of cutting the entire loaf and then take your own piece. I think you should cut a piece for yourself and make the, and eat the bread. One other halacha that I, 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 I've encountered, and it's become a big problem, and it's a bigger problem for Svardim. I can't go into the details of exactly the, the, the difference between Svardim and Ashkenazim. I can tell you, it's a problem for Ashkenazim, it's a bigger problem for Svardim. So, people misunderstand that there's a difference between savory and sweet. A sweet, a, a savory challah, has everything spice on top, garlic on top. Okay, that's, it's bread. And it's become a common thing that you can get in everything challah. Beautiful. But what's become evolved into is you'll have sweet challah on top. A shayla of whether it's hamaitzi. But I had recently... I hope they're not listening. I can't imagine they are. I don't know. If they are, then I wasn't talking about them. I went to someone's house for Shabbos. They start cutting the challah. And it's mamish. It's, it's a kakash cake. It's mamish a cake. It's mamish, I mean, a bully guzma. They, they, cut the, they made the dough. They filled it with chocolate. They filled it with cinnamon. They filled it with sugar. And, and they cut the challah. And I'm, I, I, I believe there's no difference between this and a cake. Bully guzma, there's no difference. So I, it's a little bit of a problem. So that's mazinus. That's not hamaitzi. Now it's a pasa babakisnen, which is right. There's there's categories of mezainus that if you eat enough of it, you have to wash. So yes, cake is one of those categories. A sweet dough is is one of those categories. But now you're putting your everybody into a matzah. Right? No one's being yitz in the kind of mitzvah because nobody's eating that much cake, uh, challah, whatever you want to call it. And it's a problem. So I, I didn't know what to do. So I didn't want to be rude. So I took a little bit of a bite, realized that there's no good. So I, I sat quiet for like five minutes until they finally brought. The fourth loaf was a regular chalice. I had a piece of it. I don't know if it was a hefsek. I'm not sure what to do. But it's something to be careful. If you're going to make these type of chalas, have a regular challah to distribute, especially for svardim. Svardim have a more strict barometer of what's considered bread as opposed... If I'm not mistaken, I don't want to speak out of turn. I know some svardim won't even eat egg chalas. They won't eat egg challah because that's too sweet for them. I'm telling you right now, this makes egg challah look like a, like a, like way back in the back mirror. Yeah, be very careful. Svaradim are very strict, but even Ashkenazim, at some point it's no longer challah, at some point it's cake. You just, just to be careful. Just because savory is okay does not mean sweet. It's a difference. It becomes a cake at some point, and it's no longer uh, bread. And if you're going to, it's going to be a problem. So I just want to be more that because... Um, I'm tired of going to people's houses and just sitting there politely. It's a problem. You can't, you can't serve that to people. It's not, it's not yet to the mitzvah. Okay. Um, what, what I meant was like this. There's basically three reasons amongst the Rishonim and from the Yerushalmi. Why do we cover challah? The famous reason that everyone gives is because you don't want to embarrass the grape juice because you're making kiddush on, on, you don't embarrass the challah because you're making kiddush on grape juice and not challah. That's something. I understand. But that's one of the reasons. The other reason given, the other reason given, by the way, I'm not going until 9 o'clock. I'll stop soon so everyone can get ready for the... Oh, okay, uh, wine, all these things. I don't drink. So the second reason given, the other reason given, is that um, it's a zecher lemon. The mun was covered in dew, so we want to cover the challah. There's actually a third reason from the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi says the reason is 
and perhaps this is the minig of Klal Yisrael, if I'm not mistaken, outside of like a Kiddush, when you go to people's houses, the minig of Klal Yisrael is that there's nothing on the table other than challah. People don't generally have the dips and the fish. Now you could say that's just Stam, but there is a Yerushalmi. It's not as quoted by Paiskin, but it is quoted. The Yerushalmi says the reason why you cover the challah is because if you want to show off a meal, you're like, ooh, like a magic trick, like, look what we have. And it's like, ooh, it's like, you know, it shows like chavivas to the challah, like you uncover it, like, uh, you know, like uncovering, you know, like, uh, like a dish. So that would be the reason that if you're going to bring something to the table, mistame would have to be covered, according to the Yushalmi. So maybe to avoid that concern, fine. But the Iker two reasons is to not embarrass the challah and to, and to, and to be zecher laman. What's the difference between these two views? The difference is when should you uncover the challah? If it has to do with the Kiddush and being embarrassed, the second you're done Kiddush, you could uncover the challah. But if it has to do with zecher laman, then the Shla writes, and it's brought down by Mishabura, you should have it covered until the challah is being cut. Meaning, so you have it covered, you put your hands under the cover, make the bracha, then you remove the cover and you can cut it. That's my point. According to that reason for zechel Laman, it should be covered even past the Kiddush. That's what Mishabura says. Um, okay, a couple halachas I just want to run through. Um, what happens, this has happened, uh, it happens in a lot of shuls. I've, I've seen this many times, where the chazin has to step down in middle of Shmonasar. Now, this could do to the fact that he's not feeling well. This could be, I've seen that sometimes the chazan needed the bathroom. I don't know, he had to leave. But also Hatzalah members, right? The Hatzalah members of Chazan, and he runs out. You have this, uh, I've been heard many, many stories of what went on in Eretz Yisrael, that the, the chazan got the call, gone. So if someone needs to take over, if someone needs to take over, when does someone uh, take over for the person? If someone needs to take over, the chazan needs to be replaced. When, how, do you, how does that work for Shmona Esri? So the Shulchan Aruch writes in Simen Kuf Chavav Sif Beis. It's good to know because when these things happen, most of Hilchus Tefillah, when these things happen, you don't have time to check it up. You got to just, you got to know. So the Shulchan Aruch writes in Sif Beis, Shlich Tzibar Shetoa. If a, now the, chaz, the Shulchan Aruch was not talking about a scenario where the Chazin wasn't feeling well. He was talking about a case where the Chazin messed up to the point where he can't recover. Like, uh, he messed up to the point where he just turns and he's like, I'm out. So the Chazin stepped down because he messed up in such a way that he can't be replaced. He can't, he can't do it, so he needs to be replaced. The Shulchan Aruch Replace him. You do not restart Chazar Sashatz. You start from the beginning of the bracha that he messed up on. However, if he messed up in the first three or the last three, says the Shulchan Aruch, the first three are always one unit, the last three are always one unit, you restart. The Mishabura brings down in Bir Alacha that if the Chazin stopped because he's ill, there are Paiskim that hold that if the person who replaced him was listening the whole time, then you restart from that bracha even in the first three and even in the last three. So I would advise in a scenario where you're placing a Chazin, in most circumstances, just restart the bracha that he messed up on. Do not go back to the beginning of Shimon Esrei. Do not go back. Just restart the bracha that he messed up on. Okay. A couple more shailas, and then we'll, we'll stop because there's going to be people here learning, but a couple more shailas. Um, what if a chazin, this happened recently, the chazin, okay, you know, let's talk about this practical case. We started saying Masha Baruch Geshem on Simchas Torah. On, uh, I'm sorry, on Shemini and what happens if you forgot to say Masha Baruch Geshem, or you don't remember whether you said Masha Baruch Geshem? So the famous halacha 
is that this is a scenario where it's better to be Nusach Svard. If you're Nusach Ashkenaz, they don't say Marid at all. They just say nothing. So if they don't say Ma'ashev Rechum they say nothing. If you don't say Ma'ashev Rechum you're not Yoytza. So if you remember before Atta Kaddish, you say Ma'ashev Rechum in its place. If you start Atta Kaddish, you got to repeat. You're not Yoytza. If you daven like that, you're not Yoytza Shmon Esra. Now, if you're Nusach Svard, we say Marid at all. So if you don't say Ma'ashev Rechum, at least I said Marid at all. Yoytza Zayin. It's still Yoytza, so it's not a big deal. But let's say you're Nusach Ashkenaz, or you're personally a Nusach Ashkenaz person. So you forgot to say Mashiv Geshem, or you're not sure whether you said Mashiv Geshem, you're not Yotze Davening. So what happened recently is someone was Chazan, you realize he messed up, the silent Shmanas, right? And now you're stuck, because they, they don't want the whole seabird to wait for you. So he came over to me and he says, What do I do? So I said, Very simple. The Shulchan Aruch and Simon Kuchavav Sif Dalit writes Beferish, if the Chazan messed up, in a way that he's not Yotza, do not repeat your silent Shemona Esrei. Let the out loud Shemona Esrei be fulfilled. Have in mind that it should fulfill your obligation. It's not ideal, obviously. Listen, uh, even a step further, I had this once uh, over here at Hashivenu, but it's, it's Mamish B'diever. But a Chazin walked in, <clears throat> for whatever reason, whatever the scenario was, he did not daven a silent Shemona Esrei, he just davened out loud. Bidiyavid, it's Yotza. It's not ideal. Bidiyavid, it's Yotza. So, no, no, this was a separate scenario. He had not davened silent Shmonasari whatsoever. Yes, over here it wouldn't be relevant because it's actually a good point. People should realize that over here you should always, even though in general there's always the famous Shaila where my Nusach is different than the Nusach of the Shul. So the basic sock is that you could have your silent Shmonasari, it could be your personal Nusach. Everything out loud should be the Nusach of the Tzibar. Ramosha Feinstein writes, the Chazan has to say the Nusach of the Tzibar because the whole purpose of the Chazan silent Shmoneser is to get him ready to daven out loud. It doesn't make sense to have a separate Nusach. But the case was the person didn't do that. So they had a private Shmoneser, Nusach Ashkenaz, and they did not say Mashem or Horn So they're not Yotze the davening, or they're not sure, so we assume they didn't say it properly. So I told them just have the out loud Shmoneser. Now this creates a very interesting halachic nafkamina moments later. The Chazan ends his Chazar Sashats with Baruch Atah Hashem, HaMevarech Es Amo Yisrael, Bashalom. Okay. Now what? Oh, so yeah. So now he finishes HaMevarech Es Amo Yisrael, Bashalom. So now, first, right off the bat, there is a Machlok Es Ramah and the Gro. Svardim feel that he should say out loud, You L'Ratzei Nimrefi Ve'agon Livech Hashem Tzuri Ve'goyali. The Chazan ends, right? The Chazan ends like that. The Ramah disagrees. He says, you do not say that. The Chazim does not need to say that. He just ends, Kaddish, Tachanon, whatever it is. The Gra disagrees. So there's a Shaila of whether the Chazim should say the, the, the next line. What do we paskin? The Minig of Klal Yisrael says the Kitzar Shulchan Aruch is to say, Yu Nimrefi, quietly. So he says it quietly. Does he take three steps back? The answer is no. The Chazim generally does not take three steps back. Why? Because... He finishes his silent shmanas. He finishes chazar sashats. He says yilaratzen quietly. They start saying tachanon. They do kriyas hatayra. Eventually, ashrei lamnatzeich uvalitzian. He's finally done uvalitzian. He says full kaddish. What's the end of his full kaddish? He takes three steps back. The three steps back of kaddish is the three steps back of his chazar sashats. Now, by the way, that means that you should not be talking. The chazan should not speak from the end of his Chazar Sashatz until the end of saying full Kaddish other than davening because he is still sort of in his 
Chazar Sashatz until he takes three steps back. However, the Paiskim say as follows. If let's say the Chazan, there are scenarios where the Chazan t- should, take, should take three steps back right away. And that's in three cases. If the Chazan did not daven silent Shman if he daven silent Shman and messed up, so I said his out loud Shman is really his silent Shman So therefore we want him to take three steps back to conclude his silent Shman Or, you have this a lot, where someone else is taking over by Ashrei. You'll have it sometimes when there's two Avelim, they want to make everybody happy. So they'll have one Chazin will say the silent Shman and Tachanun, and the other Chazin will take over. Now, if the other Chazin takes over, the other Chazin is the one taking three steps back by the end of Kaddish. Therefore, the first one never took three steps back. So the Paiskim say that if you're going to be replaced, and you know that, you should take three steps back at the end of, end of that Shemona Esra. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of whether I want to go into this case. It's a whole complicated case. Any questions? Correct. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll mention the case. I'll mention the case. I don't expect anybody to be able to figure out the halacha from this case because it's complicated. I just want to tell you what happened and I'll walk you through it. I got a text yesterday. Made a, uh, um, used a milchik frying pan. Stirred it with a meat spatula. What's the story with the food? The pan and the spatula. Okay. So I said, first two questions you have to ask. What were you cooking in the pan? Eggs. Okay. Were there onions and eggs with cheese? You're cooking cheese in a... So basically, you're making an egg omelet in a dairy pan. So far, so good. You take a meat spatula and you mix it. What's the story? So I said, are there onions? Because when there are onions, it throws everything. Nope, just eggs. When was the last time the meat spatula was used? A week ago. Or I'm not sure, which if you're not sure... Stam kalem Okay. Now, because if the meat pan, if the meat spatula was used within 24 hours, now it's pumping meat into that eggs, and the eggs have cheese, and it's basta but it's not. So let's analyze it. There's three things you got to ask. There's the eggs, there's the pan, there's the spatula. So the eggs are going to be fine. Why? Because the eggs have cheese in it. Ah, you stirred them with a meat spatula, but the meat spatula hadn't, hasn't been used in 24 hours. After 24 hours, any meat flavor in the spatula is putrid. So anytime it's pushing flavor, it's pushing nothingness. It's disgusting. It's no saint tam gam. So the eggs are completely fine. You could eat the eggs. The frying pan is also fine. Same reason of the eggs. Any meat flavor that's being pumped into the eggs and the frying pan is disgusting. It's putrid. Not going to be significant. But here's the problem. The problem is the spatula. Because the spatula is a weird thing. It hasn't been used in a week, so it has week-old meat in it, which is disgusting. You now just stirred it with cheese. So now it has fresh cheese. So here's the problem with the spatula. You're kind of stuck. It's a meat spatula, because you used it for meat once. So you're not allowed to use it for cheese. So I can't continue using this for dairy. The problem is it has fresh cheese in it, which will prevent me forever of using it for meat. So I can't use it for meat, I can't use it for dairy. Technically, the Ramah does bring down, it's from a Rabbeinu Peretz, you could use it for pariv, but the Ramah says the minig is not to, because that would be a very foolish idea to have a spatula in your house you could only use for pariv, and it's usher to use, for, it's not like you chose pariv, it's usher. So therefore, what we pass in is the eggs are fine, 
the pan is fine, the spatula needs to be kashered to purge it of its meat, weak old meat, and fresh dairy. So you wait 24 hours and you purge it. Now how do you purge it? Are you able to purge it? It was either rubber or plastic. So there's a general shayla in the Paiskim. Can you kasher rubber or plastic? We know that you could kasher metal. Glass, according to Svardim, doesn't need to be kashered. Ashkenazim and Pesach are very strict with glass. Earthenware cannot be kashered. So you got metal, earthenware, and glass. The problem is plastic. Plastic and rubber are relatively new concepts, so you never had them before. So the question is, which category do you put them in? So, and wood, well, wood, wood, wood is similar, but wood they at least had. But rubber and plastic was a new invention. They never had this. So there's a truva, Rav Vadia talks about it, Rav Shleim Zalman, Rav Henkin, or Rav Moshe, and Mechas Yitzchak, and Tzitzliezer. And they all basically say like this. There's basically a couple of approaches. Rav Moshe Shita is that plastic, can, plastic should not be kashered for Pesach, but year-round it could be. Rabavadia was more mekel, and Tzitzliezer's mekel, many Paiskim are mekel that plastic can be kashered for year-round. Pesach, okay, yeah, it's maybe to be strict. For plastic and rubber, there's definitely more Indian to, be ka- to, to allow it to be kashered. If you remember, there was always a Shiloh, I was younger, there was always a Shiloh, do you kasher a microwave? The Shiloh was, because the walls of the microwave are plastic. It was a Shiloh, do you kasher plastic? That, that was the Iker Shiloh, yeah? No, those are definitely metal. Uh, that's just as an aside. Ramosha feels that the Frechiv Tvilas Kalim, he feels that that's only a rabbinic metal. But that's, that's metal in halacha. Those could be kasha. Those, I know what they are. Plastic and rubber is a little bit more of a shayla. The point is, for this scenario, many can feel that because it's not Pesach, it's not Chomets, kashering plastic and rubber is acceptable if it could withstand the heat. So I told them the eggs are fine, the pan's fine. Wait 24 hours and dip the spatula into, in uh, boiling water and then rinse it off and you're good to go.